Hello, welcome once again to ABC Gotham, the uh, amateur historian podcast of fun and interesting New York City history. I am your host, Kathleen, and this is my co-host, Kate. Hi. Here today with letter C. What do we have today, Kate? Well, today we have Contagion, Contagion. Uh, a history of lovely contagious diseases that have taken over our city at one time or another, and usually again and again. I think we kind of, it takes us a while to learn how to change things in order to not let this happen again. You're right about that. We're we're kind of slow to catch on uh, when you hear about the, the various epidemics and pandemics that have stalked the good people of New York City. It's It's like, people, come on, get on with it. Yeah, I'd, I'd also like to tell the listeners that for you guys, I took the bullet and I looked at some very disturbing photos <laughs> of each disease. So I, I might have nightmares for weeks. <laughs> we probably will not post any of those pictures on our no. page. But mm. if you're really curious as to what smallpox or, you know, any of these diseases, you know, feel mm-hmm. free to mm-hmm. Google them yourself and inundate yourself with nightmares. They're out there. You can find them yourself. We will not inflict them on you. But I think, Kate, I think I speak for myself and all of our listeners for saying, thanks for doing that. So we don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say any time, but really never again. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I will let our listeners know this is going to be quite a long podcast. So I think we're just going to start right into it. Do you want to head us off with yellow fever slash malaria? I do. I do want to. Yeah. I just want to let people know that this will be somewhat more, um, I guess grizzly is the word I'm looking for than our last two podcasts. If listening to the one before this made you thirsty, and I know it made me thirsty to do it, then this one might make you wash your hands a lot, which you should do anyway. Definitely. Basic hygiene. Wash your hands. Don't be a typhoid Mary. Don't be a typhoid Mary. All right. Well, before we get started, actually, Kate, I believe we wanted to send a big shout out to a very important person who's been a big help with this podcast. Yes. I would love to send a shout out to Big Rude Jake. And I'm really going to apologize if I mispronounce your last name, but it's Jake Hibbert. And as you've now heard, if you've been listening to our podcast, our intro song is Gotham City Serenade. And we would just really like to thank him for allowing us to use this great song. Jake Hibbert is uh, Big Rude Jake, I should say, yeah, is the uh, composer and uh, performer of Gotham City Serenade, which is such a perfect song. And when we were in the process of finding our theme music, Kate, I don't know how you did it. You're a miracle worker. You found this, and bam. That's it. That's I, it. This is I the had song. actually there heard no it question. before. How did you hear it? How did you even find this guy? I think it was, I think I was just, um, I, I listened to a lot of Pandora, and so mm. I think it was just every time I hear something on Pandora that I love, or mm-hmm. Spotify, I write it down because I'm one of those people that loves to buy music. So yeah, good I for you. wow, it's like the eighties. I know, it's so weird. Um so I write <laughs> down the people I love and then I will go mm-hmm. online and buy their music. And yes. at some point I had heard this song and this artist and I was like, mm-hmm. 
wow, this is so amazing. And just at some point when we were looking for a song, it clicked. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. we, I'm just so happy that he was willing to let us use his song. Because mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. you're right. It's, it's I so think it perfect. really goes well. Yeah, yeah, it's great. So, Big Rude Jake, thank you very much. And Yay, to our listeners, you. check him out. Go to his uh, go to his website. There's a lot of good stuff out there. But I think my favorite might be Gotham City Serenade. Yeah. Not just because it mentions Brooklyn Heights, <laughs> but for many other reasons, that being one of them. It's mostly the Brooklyn Heights thing, right? Mostly the Brooklyn Heights. Well, yeah, that. that. Yeah, okay, mostly Brooklyn Heights. Back to sadder right. topics. Back to back to fascinating and but somber topics with contagion in New York City. So we'll kick things off with a quick timeline of all of the contagions that we have had to deal with in New York City. You'll be happy to know, those of you who are alive today, that they pretty much stop after nineteen eighteen. This is all this is all pretty old old times that we've been dealing with this, which of course you're aware of if you live in New York City or read the news anywhere else in the world. If there had been some epidemic in New York, you would have known. But the first thing that really struck New York, this is uh, 1668, the first recorded one, is uh, the yellow fever epidemic, followed in 1702, so what, 40-something uh, years later, a yellow fever epidemic. And then with uh, 92 years later, 1794, there was a yellow fever epidemic. Now, this one led to the creation of Bellevue. It was actually a, a wealthy person's house named two different words, Bellevue, meaning beautiful view across the beautiful East River. And it was, uh, they turned it into a hospital, Yellow Fever Hospital. That was 1794. Then 1795, there was a Yellow Fever epidemic. This one killed 732 out of uh, the 50,000 people at the time. These are huge percentages. Three years later, 1798, there was a yellow fever epidemic. This one killed 2,086 people. 1805, surprise, surprise, yellow fever epidemic. Again? 50, yeah, believe it or not, 50,000 people actually fled the city. So this is what would happen is the, the middle class of the wealthy people would just get out of town. And a lot of times these are, are problems. These epidemics, pandemics are affecting the poor people. 1819, you won't believe what happened. A yellow fever there outbreak? Was a, there was a yellow fever epidemic, yeah, yeah. And then, in 1822, was the last major yellow fever outbreak. One of the things uh, that was funny about this is they're talking about how people would flee from the city. They would run north to this place called Greenwich Village, which was a small town north of the city's limits. You don't say this tiny little this, this wee little town out in the wilderness north of the city. They would go to, to Greenwich Village. So we'll be talking a lot about yellow fever. We've got plenty of information about that, but I'll finish up the timeline at this point. 1822, as I said, was the last major yellow fever outbreak. 1832, cholera. The cholera pandemic reaches New York City. In this case, 3,500 people died. 80,000 people fled because of the cholera. And you need to know, 80,000 people was a third of the city. Amazing. A third of the city fled. Yeah, ridiculous. 16 years later, 1848, another cholera outbreak. This was 5,071 people died. 1854, so not even 10 years later, a cholera epidemic kills 2,509. 
1866, cholera epidemic kills 1,137. That's the last major cholera epidemic. Just to give you uh, some time frame, 1854, 1866, those last two, this is around the time of the Civil War. That was also around the time of the riots at Five Points that you saw in Gangs of New York. Right. Which were triggered by the the uh, mandatory draft for the for the Civil War. So things were quiet for a while, epidemic wise, contagion wise, in eighteen after eighteen sixty six until nineteen eighteen. And then anyone who is aware of any epidemics or pandemics will know that was the Great Influenza pandemic. That was worldwide. Whenever you look at mortality statistics, just graphs over the last couple of centuries. And it's just this line that's kind of going down slowly. We're living longer and longer. But there's always that spike, that terrifying spike in mortality. And that was this 1918 influenza pandemic. So you could say that there have been a lot of things that we've had to deal with as uh, in New York City, contagions. But really the big ones are yellow fever, cholera, and influenza. Don't forget about the the outbreak of whooping cough in 2010 that I succumbed to. You know, it was big. Like, five people in the city got it. I think they called you Whooping Kate because they you spread it around. Kate. and Yeah, yeah. That's true. Was that's that a true. thing? Was, there, was that like a lot of people? Or I thought you just were sort of a fluke because you're kind of a fluke anyway. I thought I was a fluke, but when I went to my doctor, she said there was an outbreak of it, that it was kind of going around because mm. <laughs> you have to catch it from someone. Mm-hmm, and she mm-hmm. said that, much like most of these diseases we're talking about today, one person mm-hmm. coughs, and then if, people get it. you know, the spit or whatever flies mm-hmm. far enough and it gets on you, and then you either wipe your arm or it's some scratch your arm at some point, then touch food, mm-hmm. you know, anything like that, or somebody coughs yeah. and holds the pole in the middle of the subway, and then you yep. eat an apple later without washing your hands, which always wash your hands or you touch your eye or you touch your face in right so the moral of the story is always sneeze and cough into a tissue so no one around you gets it and for everyone else wash your hands because that's how i got it somebody coughed on a subway wash 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 your hands we're going to tell you that unless it's yellow fever malaria which is not spread that way yeah you could wash your hands a million times but if that mosquito gets you nothing well, and even cholera—that was uh, that was uh, dirty drinking water. So yeah, but it's yeah, it's still a cleanliness issue. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, and that's that's why you look at these timelines, and it's like everything just abruptly stops. Like, where did all the yellow fever go? What happened? Well, they figured out they needed to drain all the the swampy marshlands that the mosquitoes were just thriving in, and 1866. Boom, where did all the cholera go? Well, they figured out they needed to get the the Croton aqueduct set up and get mm-hmm. clean water into the city. You know, a lot of these, a lot of Board of Health regulations are reactions to things like this. So overcrowded tenements with no air or light or, you know, sewage and sanitation, disposal of garbage, stuff like that. I mean... The the state of the system that we have today, which is pretty damn good, actually, mm-hmm. a lot of that is a, is a reaction to, we can see what happens when you don't do that. Well, Kathleen, how did your uh, research come up in terms of why it's called yellow fever? I have also ah. heard it called yellow jack. So I will go into some details about what yellow fever is. 
Kate, I am trusting you to stop me if stuff gets too gory. Oh, I'm not going to stop you because I saw the pictures. <laughs> yeah, nothing could be worse than that. Nothing pictures. could be worse. <laughs> All right, audience, I will uh, do my best to keep it tolerable. All right, so yellow fever is a viral infection transmitted by mosquitoes. You present with fever, nausea, and pain, and that subsides after a few days. And then, in some of the patients, there is the toxic phase. So that involves liver damage and jaundice, which is why it's yellow fever. Your skin turns yellow. Uh, increased tendency to bleed, and this is bleeding in the gut, but also the mouth, the eyes. And you, you get you get bloody, and then death. So, a safe and effective vaccine has existed since the mid-20th century. Some countries require vaccinations for travelers, and the World Health Organization estimates that there's about 30,000 deaths every year in unvaccinated populations. Now, 90% of these are in Africa. Those are the, where the unvaccinated populations tend to be. The doctors in New York City at the time of all of these yellow fevers, of course, we didn't have this safe and effective vaccine. They didn't know what was causing it. One of the things I noticed that was uh, how they would try to not really treat this, but just how people reacted to this, is doctors would prescribe for the entire city fasting, prayer, and right. humiliation. Humiliation. This is the thing they would do. Yeah, because, you know, feel bad enough, you'll get better. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think it was even for healthy people. It was just everyone needs to go to church and pray that God's going to stop doing this. And and humiliation wasn't like humiliation like like we go through today. I think it was just about being uh, demonstrating your humility before God. And of course, because God could stop what was going on. But a couple more details about yellow fever just specifically in New York City. It's hard to discuss yellow fever in New York City without also discussing yellow fever in Philadelphia, because Philadelphia had it bad. They really? had a serious epidemic. This was 1793. 4,044 people died in three months. That's amazing. In three months. It is ridiculous. That is the most severe epidemic in U.S. history in Philadelphia. How does New York City respond to uh, the city of brotherly love? having the worst epidemic in, in that would has been or will be in this country, well, naturally, they set up c citizen patrols to keep out the people who were fleeing Philadelphia. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of uh, a little bit of, you know, the black, like the plague in Europe, mm -hmm. when mm -hmm. they would just set up a border around a town and not let people in and not let people out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because you um, just honestly, don't know. have no idea. Yeah, you don't know. And and there's some truth to that. I mean, you know, how did you get whooping cough from someone? People are infectious. They spread the disease around. But still, it's it's ridiculous how... I mean, it sounds kind of cold how New York responded to this crisis in Philadelphia. They did send food and money. They actually sent $5,000 worth. So in 1793, I think that was a pretty sizable amount of money. I think that was I think it's a lot of money big. for the time. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, they weren't totally heartless, but it was, it did seem a little cold. So that was 1793. And then in 1795 was our own outbreak, our really bad outbreak in New York City. 
732 out of the 50,000 people who lived here at the time. It was an odd situation because presumably it was brought in on the ships from the West Indies. So they brought in mosquitoes or infected people and the very brand new Board of Health decided we need to inspect the ships before mm. they before they dock. You know, we need to go out to the ship, see if anyone's sick, and if they're if someone's sick, we shouldn't let them dock. And that seemed like a reasonable solution. And actually, it's a really good solution if they'd actually done that. That happened in um. There was a really big outbreak in Virginia, actually, in the 1740s. 1740s, okay. And um, it was pre the Philadelphia outbreak, uh, 1741, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was actually the town that I was born in. And really? it was the same thing where ships were coming in and they mm-hmm. would be put in quarantine depending on where they come came from. Mm-hmm. But some ships were just really anxious to unload their cargo and then get out and mm-hmm. get, you know, keep going. Sure. And that's what kind of caused these huge outbreaks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's kind of what happened here is there was a lot of pressure from the merchants. From from commerce, they didn't want to slow down commerce. To be quite honest, it's kind of like in Jaws, if you'll remember, oh. that there was a shark attacking people. Keep the beaches open, and they yeah, we can't close the beaches. It's the summer season. People get mad. They won't come here and they won't spend their money. But people are dying from this shark. Luckily, we haven't had to deal with sharks in New York City. So it was it was extremely shady. People are dying all around. New Yorkers are starting to panic, but the New York Board of Health and the newspapers insisted there is no epidemic. This is all of 1795. And the downside of that is they couldn't request money for charity because if they were asking for donations, they're admitting there's an epidemic and it would increase the panic. Now, charity was a big, big thing in Philadelphia. It really helped. They, right. they, they had a nightmare situation and people kind of... It was it was beautiful, really. People rose to the occasion and and made it work. There's one example of a port physician, Doctor Malachi Treat, inspected a ship from West Indies, the Zephyr, and despite a feverish captain, three sick crew members, and the yellow corpse of the ship's boy, oh. he had died the day before they they arrived in New York. Despite all that, the health committee allowed the ship to land. Three days later, Dr. Treat died of yellow fever, Mm. but the health committee was still denying that there was an outbreak. It's ridiculous, really. After, after the epidemic was over, there were, you know, committee meetings and, and numbers, and, uh, they, they had the list of people who died from it. There's this very odd report. They tried to downplay how many people died and, who they were. So, you know, maybe lots and lots of people died, but they weren't important people. It literally says most of the victims were strangers and people of little account. So they were seamen, they were laborers, they were merchants and merchant clerks, but only five were well-known and established merchants. Oh, so then, you know... The other people yeah. don't really matter. There was, they were little merchants. They made a particular note that no practicing attorneys died. Oh, thank God. One preacher did die, but he was Methodist. It literally says that. He was, he was a, a, a minor denomination or something like that. Wow. He was just a Methodist preacher. And one doctor died, 
But it was one of those doctors who worked with the poor people. Oh, so he kind of asked for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not like a, a really important, impressive doctor died. It was. It's really cold how they treated these deaths. So then after it was over, there was no crusade to make the city remember this and reform the public health and safety like they saw in Philadelphia two years before. They didn't acknowledge it, except the city's panic, and people were panicking. This right. was noted in Philadelphia newspapers the whole time, but not in New York papers. It just never, never made the newspapers, and the Board of Health never admitted anything. After it was all over, the, uh, the health committee wrote themselves a self-congratulatory letter on the committee's undeviating veracity, which subdued terror, despite quote, falsehoods propagated from the meanest, most despicable motives. So the story is that mean people wanted to slow down commerce in New York, so they made a couple of unimportant people dying a big deal. They tried to make that seem like a bigger deal than it is. This was the talking points of yellow fever in New York City, which is just... Ridiculous. It's it it blows me away, honestly, how that could how that could happen. Well, I mean, it it's kind of a reoccurring theme. Whenever mm -hmm. a contagious disease hits New York, it's not really important until it really starts to affect the upper class. Mm -hmm. Once it mm -hmm. starts to affect them, then oh my god, things are shut down, mm -hmm. preventative measures are taken. But for the most mm -hmm. part, until it hits them it's not really important or it's kind of a nuisance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because poor people get sick all the time. Totally. Would you like to tell us about cholera, Kate? I would love to tell you about cholera. <laughs> so cholera in 1832 was a really big breakout. At the time, you have the population of New York City, which is largely Manhattan. Mm -hmm. There's about 250,000 people living here. And 3,515 people die. So that's mm. actually a big chunk of the population mm -hmm, mm -hmm. dying from this disease. It really hits hard. And then just the, the population doubles in by 1849, which is mm -hmm. about 10 years later. And then there's another epidemic then as soon as the population mm -hmm. is doubled. And really, the number of death doubles right along with the population. So then you have, like, over 5,000 people dying from this disease. Mm -hmm. And that's not even counting the people who uh, become ill. Mm -hmm. The disease obviously hits the hardest. It's, it's hardest in the poorest neighborhoods, affecting mm -hmm. really hardly five points, which... Mm -hmm. Which is in, uh, which is obviously in the movie we've already talked about, um, mm -hmm. Gangs of New York. It's a largely African-American and Irish Catholic neighborhood. And mm -hmm. so the idea was that, like we've said before, if you get cholera, it's your fault. Mm -hmm. I actually was reading something about how comparing it to the AIDS crisis in 1981, mm. um, where in 1981, uh, the majority of people who had AIDS were white gay men, mm -hmm. and they're already outcast in society. And so mm. it's, it's the same. It's, they kind of compare the two. Mm hmm What did you expect from yeah, your what do you behavior? Expect? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. 
So, Kathleen, do you want to give us the uh, symptoms of cholera? Well, cholera is a bacterial infection of the small intestine. Uh, the main symptoms are, my apologies, profuse watery diarrhea and Ooh. vomiting. Transmission occurs by drinking water or eating food contaminated by the feces of an infected person. So, all the diarrhea and uh, vomiting leads to dehydration, which leads to electrolyte imbalance and death. So, today, we treat it with antibiotics, but only if it's severe, we really just treat it with fluids. You know, you, you rehydrate. You drink a lot of Gatorade, and if you're not keeping it down, they'll set up an IV and they'll get the fluids in you. Worldwide, it causes uh, 100,000 to 130,000 deaths per year. Interestingly, the World Health Organization says that continued eating speeds the recovery of normal really? intestinal function. And this is actually what they recommend for diarrhea in general, not just cholera-related diarrhea. So, you know, good to know. Oh, keep that in mind. We're the only podcast that sneaks in how to get over your <laughs> diarrhea while giving you a history lesson. Famous victims include President James K. Polk, who died of cholera, and people suspect that Tchaikovsky died of cholera as wow. well. Yeah. Well, there were some great posters. They, I, I love throughout the years whenever, right around this time when they start putting posters up to tell you about the disease. Mm -hmm. So there were posters that had treatments for this, and mm -hmm. one treatment was to take laudanum, which is morphine. Mm. Calomel, which is essentially mercury, straight oh, mercury, oh. as a binding laxative. Oh my gosh. Uh, camophore as an anesthetic. And oh. then they told you to put poultices of mustard, cayenne pepper, and hot vinegar on your chest. Because mustard and, and cayenne pepper wouldn't hurt enough already. It's got to be hot, and it's got to have vinegar, and it's got to go on your chest. And it's got to go on your chest. I think I've seen movies where they've done this. I think I've seen that, yeah. They also highly recommend opium suppositories and tobacco enemas. Oh, boy. Yeah, good stuff. They knew what wow. they were doing. Like you said, this disease is largely passed through con contaminated water. But they, at mm -hmm. the time, they had no idea mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what was causing it. It was mostly a poor person disease, people who lived in tenements. And you can imagine, because they all the they're living in such close quarters, mm -hmm. garbage is being thrown on the street. There, it isn't an area of town where people are coming around and cleaning the garbage, and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, people are just kind of putting garbage wherever. There's horses that go through the street; it's not cleaned up. There are mm -hmm. pigs going through the street who were kind of put there to eat the garbage, <laughs> and so <laughs> they're just out? not too well. Um, they're not also good. defecating in the street, so you've got mm -hmm. just like people just. I mean, especially people who are living in these tenements and they're using the bathroom in a bucket and then the bucket gets tossed in the street, mm -hmm. which gets mm -hmm. collected and then contaminates the drinking water. Mm -hmm. I, did, I, did, I do remember reading, and I didn't jot this down, so I'm just going from memory here, but that they closed down a bone boiling plant, right. like a rendering plant, because they thought it might have been a source of some disease. But all that did was take away a place that they could have brought dead animal bodies, and wound up, people just dumped them in the, in the water. I, I mean, you still got to get rid of the bodies somehow, so. I'm going to plug a book here. It's not about New York, but there's a great book called Ghost Map. 
Mm-hmm. It's about doc- this Dr. Snow, who was doing a lot of research into cholera in London at the time. Mm-hmm. And he was actually the first to come up with the connection between contaminated water and cholera. Mm. So the ghost map is he took like a map of this Soho neighborhood in London. Mm-hmm. And starts to plot out where cholera cases are popping up on this map. Mm. And then is able to put down that most victims were drawing water from this one public pump. That infected baby diapers were being dumped into a cesspool (sighs) nearby. And which was feeding into this well that people were getting water from. Oh my god. And that's when they were starting to realize that some of these wells were feeding into... Which is why rich people were getting... Uh, infections mm-hmm. or getting cholera is that this w- some of this water was feeding into public waterways that were going into houses mm-hmm. miles mm-hmm. away. So it was amazing yeah. to see this ghost map and see how its infection is spread. And he also did some work with New York to help. I mean, this this kind of comes out around the time of this outbreak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he's you know he's able to link that even in New York and help out. I really recommend the book. It's really good the ghost map is what it's called ghost map ghost map all right and if you're on the website you can see the link underneath the uh underneath this get it from your local library yeah that that sounds great i believe that was i think it was that case i know it was something about a water pump so this might have been the case but it, it's kind of this neat public health story where they're like okay well the disease is coming from this water hey everyone Don't this forget. is what's making you sick don't get water. And people are like, this is my water pump. And you don't know that. And the other one is too far away. So get out of my way. You know how they solved the problem? They took the handle off the pump. Oh, yeah, I did read that. stopped. Yeah. And people just had to go a little further. They had to go further. They didn't like it, but they didn't. The, the transmission rates plummeted. It was amazing. Well, the sad thing about cholera is that most people, if you could get into a hospital, died within a day of being admitted. Mm. It works Mm. really fast, mostly because you just really lose all your liquids. You're dehydrating, yeah, yeah. Private hospitals start turning away patients Mm. down in the Lower East Side. Emergency hospitals and tents are set up, but there's Mm -hmm. just not enough clean water and enough medicines to treat these people, and they really check in and then die. And Mm -hmm. a lot of people wouldn't go to the hospital because they were seeing that people weren't coming out of hospitals. But then people are still dying at home. Uh, That's the thing, yeah. If people don't go to the hospital, they remain in the community and continue to spread the disease. Yeah. The good thing with this is that once it's realized, people, the city starts to shut down. Mm -hmm. You really, this is kind of the end of public fountains and public pumps. To, really? to get your water. Yeah, they start making, well, this is obviously, like I said, the Croton Aqueduct is set up mm-hmm. to start bringing mm-hmm. clean water into the city from upstate, which is kind of Thank where God. we still get our water yeah, is from upstate. Yeah. Private and public wells slowly start being banned and you have to start, uh, landlords have to start putting in toilets that work, mm-hmm. um, actual water closets. Mm-hmm. This is when a, a lot of New York City laws are changed in terms of tenements and apartments is mm-hmm. comes out of this cholera these cholera breakouts mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at some you know the back to the pigs pigs mm-hmm. that were just on the street are banned mm-hmm. which before had caused riots like people were like you can't get rid of pigs they are taking they the pigs eat away. our garbage yeah. 
But mm-hmm. now they're like, well, this epidemic, we really do mm-hmm. need to get rid of this. So pigs are taken out. Garbage collection starts. It really changes the city, these outbreaks, mm-hmm. realizing mm-hmm. that contaminated water and contaminated living, these unhealthy living situations mm-hmm. are a part of it. So the Board of Health starts going in. When there are cholera outbreaks, they go in, burn the clothes and the bodies of the people who die, mm-hmm. the beds, mm-hmm. setting up healthy living environments for people to live in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is kind of the beginning of the light shafts, like people have to have a window. God mm-hmm. forbid, in their apartment. It still takes until 1901 to get the New York State Tenement Housing Act, mm. which bans construction of dark, poorly ventilated buildings with no mm-hmm. windows. Uh, mm-hmm. You now have to have outward-facing windows in every room, not these gross air shafts where people are dumping garbage down anyways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The courtyards have to be kept clean, open, and indoor toilets and running water. So it mm-hmm. does take a while. Laws are, are slowly added on post-cholera outbreak. It just is sad that it took so many people dying and so mm-hmm. these outbreaks to happen for there to be change. It really is. It really is. Yeah. And then the Croton Water Duct finally happened. I do remember something funny, sad, like this whole podcast uh, about cholera, which was the... Uh, as you said, it was this just devastated the uh, immigrant Irish population, the free blacks population, the poor people who right. couldn't just run. And living in the crowded tenements, of course, increased the odds of transmission. Typical of rich people, the wealthier Protestants generally blamed the cholera epidemic on supposed moral failures, including, here are the three examples of the supposed moral failures. I believe specifically of the of the Irish immigrants. They are drinking. Poverty is one of their supposed moral failures. And the oh, yeah. big one, Catholicism. I do know that they that was definitely in the beginning of the cholera outbreaks was mm-hmm. a widely held belief. However, towards the end of the cholera outbreaks, people mm-hmm. really were changing their minds because nuns and priests were going into the Lower East Side treating these people. Mm-hmm. It was really devastating. So towards mm-hmm. the end of the outbreak, the, towards the end of each outbreak, especially the last one, mm-hmm. people were really kind of changing their mind and really feeling bad for all these Catholic immigrants who were dying. I think a lot of it is enough rich people were dying that they were exactly. like, oh, hmm, wait. And then, you know, they lost their, their convenient and self-serving explanation of why this horror is happening and they weren't doing anything. But we really like our convenient and self-serving explanations, Kate. They are hard to let go of. Really hard. Especially Mm -hmm. when we go through all of these diseases, you'll really see how hard it is to let Mm -hmm. go of these beliefs. Well, Kathleen, would you like to take us into our next disease? Well, are you talking about our great influenza pandemic that raged worldwide in 1918? Yes, of course. Of course. So would you like to tell us about the symptoms or should I? Ooh, I'll do the symptoms this time. Have at it. It's actually a very similar strain. It's H1N1, which is really similar to the swine flu that we had Mm -hmm. in 2009. Mm -hmm. But obviously it didn't hit. Swine flu did not hit us as hard as this, which was just a devastating disease. Mm -hmm. It's, It's called... America's Forgotten Pandemic. Hmm. The symptoms are 
it's kind of just like the flu. Extreme fatigue, fever, mm-hmm. headache. I did read something about pe- how people would turn blue, and it was almost impossible to tell what their original race was. What? Wait, the yeah. bodies or the people? Their faces would turn. They would turn blue. Like, oh my god! Literally turn blue from the coughing. Because oh, the next coughing. part of it is mm-hmm. you would cough, and there would just be these really awful, just terrible coughs. Mm-hmm. Um, the fevers would be really high. You can get up to 104 for days. Mm, the cough would, uh, you would actually cough so hard that you could tear your abdominal muscles. What? Yeah. Um, the coughing, you'd have this foamy blood coming from your mouth mm. and nose, which mm. when I was reading that, I started to think about lung tissue, if they were actually coughing up lung tissue. It could be, I guess it's possible. God, I hope not. Uh, that's all I could think of when I, when I was thinking of foamy blood. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I think a lot of it was there was just blood in the in the lungs or in the in the bronchial passageways. Like it was, that was possibly. Just one if of we the have many any doctors problems. who are listening to this and know if mm-hmm. they were coughing up lung tissue, I kind of want to know, but I kind of don't. So I kind of do. Let me know. Let us know. You Let us contact know. us at the website. Yes. Um. Yeah. It was. It was really a crazy. It was this really crazy outbreak uh, and it mm-hmm. was so fast it really took was the ma- the major outbreak of this just happened over a year but you do have cases that dwindle on until mm-hmm. 1920 mm-hmm. in new york city alone there's about 6 million people living here by now mm-hmm. and i have different numbers anywhere from 20 to 24,000 people died of this disease unbelievable Every time there's an outbreak, there's kind of these no spitting laws. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no spitting laws, yeah. <laughs> and the Spanish influenza, there's a great poster that I found that says, Spanish influenza has endangered the prosecution of the war in Europe. There are cases in the Navy Yard, Brooklyn Navy Yard. Mm. 30 deaths have already resulted. Spitting spreads Spanish influenza. Don't spit. Oh my god. Yeah, it's kind of gross. And now I think about people spitting on the street now, and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I hope there's not another outbreak. The reason it's actually, I was actually curious why it was called Spanish influenza, if it's this mm-hmm. worldwide problem. Why is that? Well, the first cases were actually in the U.S. and Europe, mm-hmm. and some people put the first cases in Kansas. Hmm. But... Spain was neutral during World War One, and this okay. kind of happens at the very end of World War One. Okay. Spain is neutral during the war, so there was really no blackouts on the news. So mm-hmm. they didn't like everywhere else. Anything that would lower the country's morale was mm. not broadcast. Spain mm. wasn't in the war, so Spain was broadcasting very early on about this terrible influenza, even though yeah. other countries already have it. Are you serious? Yeah, so it's it's called the Spanish influenza because Spain was the first pers- the first country to start broadcasting about this really terrible flu that's going around. So that's why it's called that. I am shocked. So this is it wasn't just New York denying that the yellow fever ever happened. This is just what people do. That's ridiculous to me. Yeah, it's 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 so, I was actually laughing when you were talking to myself. I was laughing when you mm. said it earlier because I was like, same thing with Spanish influenza, but it's a worldwide phenomenon in which nobody's talking about it. I mean, and if you think about it, it's now 
Spanish influenza is now, they have the word Spain associated with the worst worldwide pandemic that killed millions, billions, I don't even know. And so you can see from a PR kind of point of view that that's a less than desirable thing to have associated with your country. But how many people have died because people were more worried about the city or the country's reputation than the people who were actually dying? Can you imagine how different would the world be without... All those pandemics just burning through if the population? People just, exactly. You know, well, at the time, so they're saying that the disease kind of lasted through from June, the first mm-hmm. cases in early 1918, mm-hmm. the last case kind of being December 1920. Mm-hmm. And during that time, 3% of the world population died from this. 3%. 3%. And 27% of the population of the world was infected. So they're saying anywhere... Up to 100 million people. They say, oh, well, I got a number that's fi- anywhere from 50 to 100 million people died. Oh, my God. So anywhere up to 100 million people could have been, the reason for their death could have been this disease. And the disease really spread so quickly because mm-hmm. we started traveling more around the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they're saying it really mutated because um, you got the end of World War I. Mm-hmm. You've got these troops that are in such close quarters, massive mm-hmm. troops moving where you're coming in contact with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It increased the t- transmission, augmented the mutation. Mm-hmm. Soldiers, sailors bring it home. It's suddenly this worldwide. And like I said, the first case that I could find was mm-hmm. in Kansas in 1918. Mm-hmm. And then come March, March 4th in 1918, there's one cook who's sick with this flu, mm-hmm. by March 11th, 100 soldiers are in the hospital. What? And also, by March 11th, the same day that you've got suddenly from 1 to 100 people in this one base in Kansas sick, mm-hmm. by March 11th, it's already in Queens. So this thing <gasps> moves really fast. Wow. I mean, that's like one person, right? One person happened to get on a train who happened to be carrying this. I mean... Ex- exactly. That is that is astounding. I can't believe that. Well, by the time New York, New York, New York is not as hard hit as I think Philadelphia is definitely hit harder, mm-hmm. and Boston. But they start doing things in New York, like movie theaters, rather than shut down movie theaters, which some places were doing. Mm-hmm. They were telling the movie theaters sell half the tickets, and then they were telling everyone have an empty seat between you and the person next to you. Ah. Oh. And like now, where you have the cell phone, hey, don't use your cell phone during the movie, they would have mm-hmm. somebody come into the movie theater and remind patrons, can you please cover your mouth if you cough or sneeze? Oh, my God. Some really smart things. You have this Dr. Royal S. Copeland, who was the health commissioner for New York, mm-hmm. started putting things out saying, hey, rather than having the subways super packed during rush hour and this disease just like spreading like wildfire. Mm-hmm. He really did a lot to keep the disease from spreading that much. Mm-hmm. He convinced various businesses to shift their business hours. Oh my God. So there was no rush hour. So people were suddenly, instead of everybody being at work at nine, mm-hmm. you know, textile industry, we need you to open at seven thirty in the morning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Various other, any, you know, brewing, we need you to not open till 1030 so people don't come to you. So he convinced, was able to convince lots of businesses to change their hours just to keep people 
from being in confined places together. Just packed which in is like why that New York was not as hard hit. That that's incredible. I had no idea. I didn't read about this guy at all. That's incredible. Whoa. It's amazing he was able to convince. He was like, "Hey guys, mm-hmm, I want you to mm-hmm. do a favor for me." And that he was right, like, and, and that that helped, and, and that it was, you know, he knew enough about the transmission. That's amazing. That's amazing. He just made it happen. Yeah, it's amazing how quickly they were able to get it under kind of control. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. There were schools that were closed. There were theaters. Some public places were just kind of shut down through the city. Mm-hmm. But the city kind of tried to keep going and not mm-hmm. be devastated by this disease. And it's mm-hmm. definitely, unlike the last diseases we talked about it's definitely Uh a disease that kind of hits everybody yeah which is why i think it's taken so seriously because there's rich people there's poor people influential Uh Uh everybody is hit by this disease yeah yeah i do want to make a couple of points about influenza while we are talking about it not so much the history but the science because you know that's what i like to talk about so typically when i think of the flu i think of puking and that is actually not typical of influenza. Sometimes there's nausea and vomiting in kids, but it's more common in what's called gastroenteritis, which is completely unrelated to influenza. But the confusion arises because gastroenteritis is commonly referred to as the stomach flu, which is not the flu at all. And it is in your, in your, the stomach part of that name is correct. The flu part is not. So the flu is really more in your lungs and your nose and your throat and not so much in your GI tract or your, in, your, in your stomach. And influenza, as compared to gastroenteritis or stomach, quote-unquote, flu, influenza is a much more serious infection, and it can lead to pneumonia. And if you're feeling cruddy, here's how you can tell the difference. A flu is different from a cold or gastroenteritis because of a sudden onset of high fever and extreme fatigue. So those are the two things that mark influenza. Also, it might be helpful for our listeners to know that you are most infectious on the first two days that you are feeling it. You're actually infectious the day before you feel it also, but there's no way to do anything about that. So those three days, the day before, and then the two days, the two first days when you're sick, or when you're infectious, or when you're you're shedding the virus, is what it's called. So don't go to work. I feel if you like, don't and those to. are the days that you're like, I'm not that sick. I'm gonna go to work. I'm yeah, fine. yeah, I'm not so bad. Yeah, that's and that's the day when you're in denial because it only you only just started feeling it. Well, stay home, please, for the good of everyone else. Also, everyone, it's viral. Don't take antibiotics. Don't go to your doctor and give him a hard time about giving you antibiotics. Don't, 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 don't. It won't touch it. It will do you nothing but harm in the long run. So just stay home, get fluids, and try to ride it out. Um, I would like to end our Spanish influenza mm-hmm. with a children's rhyme that I found uh, about Spanish influenza around the time that um, this is hitting, and just and it really hit healthy young adults, which is why hmm. it was so devastating. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the, around this time, kids were hopscotching in the street to a little uh, rhyme that said, I had a little bird. Its name was Enza. I opened a window and influenza. Wow. Really? Yeah, that's what I got. I thought it was it is- kind of cute and creepy. Not as creepy as like the 
Black Plague uh, nursery Is rhymes. Is Ring Around the Rosie creepy. really about the Black Plague? Because I heard somewhere that maybe it wasn't, and that's just sort of an apocryphal thing. Do you know? I've always heard that Ring Around the Rosie is about the... Well, not when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. I might look that up. I might I might look into that. I, I have a bit about smallpox and the hospitals. I definitely looked at some pictures of smallpox. Yeah. Oh. Smallpox, it localizes in blood vessels in your skin mm-hmm. and mouth and throat. Mm-hmm. Um, it causes a rash on your skin, which then turns into fluid-filled blisters. Mm. And think of fluid-filled bist- blisters that cover your entire body. Oh, Lord. There's a 30 to 35% mortality rate. Ooh. It's it's just really... There's one strain that is not too bad and won't kill you, but the one that will is really awful. Mm-hmm. If you do survive it, which there's... I mean, you have like a 65 to 70% chance of surviving. Mm-hmm. You will end up with scars all over your mm. body. It can also call, cause blindness in mm. in some small cases, limb deformities. Oh my god. Um, how does that happen? Your your limb just deforms while you're sick or I mean, possibly, you know, I I read it and I just have no idea what causes Understood. limb deformities. You, if you looked any further, you might have seen more pictures. Totally understand. I didn't really want to see any more limb deformities. Exactly. Apparently though, when when we had these big outbreaks, 80% of children, though, that would get smallpox, and it's true today, died. Mm. So it's it's a really terrible children's disease. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It comes with a really high fever, and in the 20th century alone, just to give you an idea of how bad this disease is, mm-hmm. 300 to 500 million people have died in the 20th century of this disease. Unbelievable. And I, I was actually wondering why it was called smallpox, because everybody gets chicken pox when they're a kid. Right, right. And it, it's not so bad. It's not fun, but you try not to scratch for a few days, and then you're good. Right. It was actually called smallpox to differentiate it from great pox, which is syphilis. Gray pox? No, great. Like, great, like big. So smallpox. Oh, pox. Smallpox. Oh. It's a little... <laughs> Great pox, syphilis, gross. Oh, wow, wow. Really advanced syphilis, wow. That's... Yeah, pretty nasty. Um, it's spread through bodily... Because smallpox makes it sound less harmful, but obviously... It sounds kind of cute. You're like, oh, smallpox. Oh, yeah, it's adorable. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like most of these, a lot of these diseases we're talking about, it's spread mm. through bodily fluids, airborne, mm-hmm. and it has a six-foot radius, so... You sneeze and Six it foot just radius? Are you serious? lies. Yeah. Is that just because of the sneezing? Just propels it up? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty nasty. Oh boy. Um, there was a hospital, obviously, that mm. I think most people in New York have seen at some point. That's a ruin. Mm. It's now called mm. the Renwick Ruin. Renwick Ruin. Yep. Which is the, uh, the old smallpox hospital. It's at the base of, uh, Roosevelt Island. We love it. In it's, Gorgeous and picturesque. I love it. I'm an artist. I've definitely painted it before. It's, <gasps> it's, I love ruins. I will talk a lot about ruins on this show because mm-hmm. I have a big thing for them. And they're freaking cool in general. Yeah. yeah. It's very cool. But it's mm-hmm. definitely, it was definitely a hospital designed to separate the poor and the, uh, paying patients. Mm-hmm. They called them. So you have the charity floor, which a hundred patients were crammed into. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then the upper floors were for people who could pay to go mm-hmm. there. But it wasn't always on 
At some point, they do end up moving the smallpox patients to North Brother Island, which I'm mm. sure we'll talk about a little bit later. We'll get to that in a minute. Yep, yep. And it, it just, the hospital ends up becoming a home for nurses, maternity ward, training hospital. Mm-hmm. It, smallpox is kind of a problem for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, Actually, before we get off of the hospital, there's a couple, mm-hmm. of, couple of super cool points. Yeah. Oh, please, so go ahead. Smallpox Hospital or, or Renwick Ruins, because it used to be called Renwick Hospital. It had a couple of names, which opened in 1856, and that was towards the end of all these cholera outbreaks, and it closed a century later. In 1972, this is super cool. It got New York City landmark status. It is the only ruin in the city that has landmark status. And at the moment, all right, here's where it gets a little murky. And so anyone who's listening knows about this, please, please write in or or call in and let us know whether the public has access to it or not. I'm not too sure. I did read something that there's a $4.5 million stabilization project and mm-hmm. after that's done, it will be open to the public. Now, that was from a New York Times article in 2009. I went there this summer, summer 2011, and there was a big chain link fence quite a distance from it, and it was not open to the public. So, Kate, how close have you gotten to it? I've gotten pretty close. So, there is a chain link fence that kind of sections off the bottom part of the island, mm-hmm. which I'm not sure if that's where you were stopped. Maybe that's it. Yeah, yeah. But when I went, there are certain hours that that gate opens. Really? And you could walk down to the pretty, really pretty close, but then Mm. there's another chain link fence that goes actually around the hospital Mm. itself. Okay. So it's a chain link fence within the chain link fence. So I got within maybe 20 or 30 feet of the hospital. Hmm. Well, so, honestly, knowing that there are two chain link fences, I'm not sure which one kept me back. So maybe I was close hmm. too. I don't. I might have to go back. Maybe. Uh, I don't know about that only historical landmark, though. Aren't those uh, admirals' houses, the Admirals' Row on uh, Flushing Avenue? There's a few of those that are definitely ruins that have been recently historically landmarked. You could be right about that. We will definitely be talking about the Brooklyn Navy Yard in some detail on another episode of ABC Gotham. Stay tuned. But yes, we did. We were lucky enough to take a tour, and I think you are right about that. Well, then I guess we get into what is a ruin and what's the definition there. But it could be that the source that I'm looking at is at least a month old because I know that those those designations were very, very recent at uh, right. at the Brooklyn Navy Yard. So, yeah, you might be right about that. I stand corrected if, in fact, you are right about that. Uh-huh. I actually do know somebody who went to the smallpox hospital when it was still open. Seriously? What? Who? What for? Uh, I just I have a friend that when she was a kid, it mm-hmm. was still open. And she went to go visit a friend who was in the charity ward with her mom mm. and her brother, which seems a little scary to me. I feel like if I were a mom and my <laughs> kid were like, my my best friend Billy's in the smallpox hospital, I'd be mm. like, I'm sorry. Hopefully you'll see him soon. I hope Billy comes out of the smallpox hospital because <laughs> that's the only time you'll see him again. But yeah, she said she she went and she remembers what it looks like when it was not a ruin. Well, I think we have our choice of um, tuberculosis or typhoid fever at this point. I'd like to save typhoid fever for the last because I kind of liked it. All right, well, TB it is. I don't like it. Diseases are bad. Tuberculosis, 
uh, also called consumption, which mm-hmm. is like the wasting disease. And people kind of, if you had to die young, it was kind of like this artistic thing where people, you kind of want it because you slowly waste it away. It mm-hmm. seems awful. Uh, pre, um, industrialization, even in New York, it was compared to vampirism. What? Yeah, it, essentially one person in the family would get sick and mm-hmm. die, mm-hmm. and then the rest of the family would die slowly, f- slowly falling ill to this. Wow. Uh, and the idea was the original victim was draining the life from their family members. Oh, boy. Because, you know, these people would suddenly have red, swollen eyes, which are sensitive to light, mm-hmm, pale mm-hmm. skin, low, really extremely low body temperature, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Low weak energy. hearts, coughing mm-hmm. up blood, which this is definitely a disease that when you cough, you're coughing mm-hmm. up bits of your lungs. Mm. It's, it's definitely something that spread easily through the tenements. There was a tuberculosis. Some tuberculosis patients were put at, North Brother Island, there was mm-hmm. a wing mm-hmm. created for it, but it wasn't, by the time it was created and put up, tuberculosis wasn't as big of a problem. It was starting to wane at that point, I believe, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Vaccines had come out. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we have them now. You can test for it. Mm-hmm. It's much easier to, at some point, it was just much easier to treat. Yeah, and now people even live with it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, sadly, people with HIV and AIDS are really prone to tuberculosis. Unless you have an immunosuppressive disorder, yes. Exactly. <laughs> but it's something that they constantly test you for. Mm-hmm. There was a tuberculosis hospital in Coney Island. It was called Seabreeze Hospital. Mm. And supposedly it was for poor children from local tenements. Aww. Oh, Gosh. a hospital just for them. And I think their moms could live with them. Oh. And then the moms yeah. could get sick and... Not necessarily, I guess. There's ways. Wow. That's just so bleak, you know? These kids. Yeah. Ugh. Very sad. It's it's another time when they start putting out the spittoons again where they're like, hey guys, mm. if you got a spit, <laughs> use the spittoon. It's It was definitely really contagious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Typhoid fever. Some of the things, it's called gastric fever, abdominal typhus, mm-hmm. slow fever, infantile remittent fever. Mm. The name comes from the neuropsychiatric symptoms, and they're, com- they're common with typhus. Mm-hmm. And typhus is comes from the Greek word for stupor. It kind of puts you in this definite, like, mm. stupor, slow mental, but... There's a lot more to it. Mm. There's a slow rising fever. It kind of creeps up on you. Mm -hmm. And you can have this fever for a week. It goes as high as 40 degrees Celsius or 104 degrees Fahrenheit, Mm. which is 104 is 105 when you start to have brain damage. I am not sure, but I know it's one of those. Yeah. There it's, you also have profuse sweating. Mm-hmm. Uh, gastroenteritis? Gastroenteritis, what people often yes. mistakenly call stomach flu. Exactly. You know, right. Diarrhea, where it's, they said anywhere from t- seven to ten times a day. Mm. Vomiting, <sighs> intestinal cramps. Sometimes, rarely, you'll get a rash um, of these flat rose-colored spots on your hmm. chest. Okay. And it, it's usually over the course of a month. It's just kind of, you just get worse and worse and worse. You can die from dehydration because you're just 
losing all your liquids. You can't keep anything sweating down. so much and the, and the diarrhea, I guess? Between sweating and vomiting and diarrhea, oh it's bad. You can become delirious. There's mm. um, cases of people where they just start picking at bugs nobody else sees on their mm. sheets. Mm. Um, sadly, it's transmitted through poor hygiene. Mm. So, of course, another can be poor person disease where you're just living in squalor. Uh, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. it also affected rich people this time, so that's good. Uh, it can be passed, mainly, it's sadly, it's passed through fecal matter. Yeah. Uh, insects landing on feces, landing on your food, mm. uh, not washing your hands after going to the restroom, and then everyone wash your hands. Food. Everyone, everyone, always Please, wash your hands. Please, always wash your hands. If takes, this has not taught you minute. anything else. Yeah. Eventually, there were vaccines. There was a live, which is an oral vaccine, or an Mm -hmm. injectable, which is a dead version of the vaccine, and it's really effective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But in New York, at its height, out of every 100,000 people, 174 people were dying of this disease. That And that's an unbelievably high number. That's ridiculous. Wow. It's really high. It's really Mm. high. Uh, Our most probably famous person with... With this disease, even though mm-hmm. she's asymptomatic, is Mary Mallon, otherwise known as Typhoid Mary. Tell us about Typhoid Mary, Kate. <laughs> she is the first person identified as an asymptomatic carrier of typhoid fever. Mm-hmm. In her lifetime, she infected 53 people and three people died. She was forcibly incarcerated twice, once on North Brother Island, which seems to be a reoccurring theme. Yeah, definitely. And she died after three decades in isolation. She's an Irish immigrant born in Cookstown, County Tyrone, Ireland. Mm -hmm. Which Cookstown is funny because I thought because she is a cook. Because she's a cook, yeah. She immigrates at 15 Mm -hmm. and just kind of works her way through several homes as a Mm -hmm. cook. Mm -hmm. By 1900, she's the head cook in several places. It seems like... She goes into a house, like the first house in Mamiranek. She works there for two weeks before everybody starts getting sick. Mm. Uh, she really just kind of moves on. She's eventually in Manhattan by 1901. Mm-hmm. Again, the household falls ill, and this is where the first person dies. <sighs> uh, a young laundress who worked in the hospital. She moves on to another house where seven out of eight people become sick. And the one thing is she really spends months trying to get people to feel better, trying to help Aww. these people, which really just makes things worse. Yeah. The person <laughs> who gets you sick is making you the chicken soup because yeah. she doesn't wash her hands. You're not going to get better. Mm-mm. No matter how hard she tries. No, the, the, the turning point is eventually she gets a job out in Oyster Bay in 1906, mm-hmm. working for... Charles Warren, who has a summer house out there, and really, like, the whole household falls ill. And at this point, typhoid fees are a big problem, and he knows that if it's a problem on the property, he's not going to be able to rent the property Mm. if it's a problem. So he hires a man named George Soper, who's Mm -hmm. a civil engineer with experience in typhoid fever, which seems like a weird civil engineer. Cool. Who knows about typhoid fever? <laughs> is hired to come and figure this out. Mm-hmm. Mary has already left this mm-hmm. household. She left about three weeks after the outbreak because I feel like if the household that I worked in got sick, I'd be like, well, I'm out of here. 
Yeah, but what if every household you worked in got sick? What the hell? You can't hold down a job, woman? Yeah, but maybe it's just, I mean, there's a lot of outbreaks at the time. Everybody's yeah. getting sick, so maybe it's, it's just like a common thing where, like, but mm. I would, I, they get sick, I'd be you move on. Too. Yeah. She, um, they, this guy, George Sober, definitely tracks her down and mm-hmm. kind of looks into her history of where she's worked and realizes that everybody gets sick. Who she works for. Of the seven jobs at this point in her life, 22 mm-hmm. people have become ill from her working in their house. <laughs> But nobody's heard of this, this like not being sick but able to transmit a disease. That's so the he big goes, thing. She's not sick. She's never she's sick. not sick. No one would even think that you could be an asymptomatic transmitter. All right, go on. No. So of course this guy goes to Mary and he's like, "Hey, I need some of your stool samples." <laughs> and she chases him off with a knife. Good. Um, and refuses, which I I think I might be a little weirded out too. Yeah. Eventually, yeah. health officials. I mean, officials not good. And- it would have been good if he'd had that as soon as he could have, but still good, like in the context of what we're yeah. doing. Okay, go on. Uh, eventually, health officials and police were able to bring her in. Mm-hmm. I was a little like, how can they arrest this woman who hasn't done anything, really hasn't done anything? That we can tell for sure. Yeah, yeah. But the Greater New York Charter gave them permission to take her to an isolated cottage on North Brother Island Mm. because they were kind... The charter stated if somebody is a health risk to the city at large, Uh, that she can be quarantined. So she's given this cottage Mm -hmm. with really... And she writes about having her only companion as a dog and how why she doesn't understand. She... It really takes her a long time to understand that, mm-hmm, why mm-hmm. this is happening. She's not sick. Yeah, yeah. It's just... She's not sick, and she says she's never been sick. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At this point, there's, the reason they're saying that she's able to pass it is that at some point, you can have typhoid fever and have a weak case that's kind of like the flu, mm. but kind of continue to carry it. Because mm-hmm. it's not pass- inevitably fatal, right? I mean... Not all the time, no. So if you get this weak case, you could just be a carrier at that point. Is mm-hmm. there is there thinking? Mm-hmm. There's they've kind of come to a different conclusion at this point. Mm. But this is the thinking at the time. So she, mm. after two years, she kind of sues for her release. She's like, mm-hmm. "This is I can't believe that I'm being held prisoner." Yeah, bullshit. Eventually, I didn't do anything. All of which are kind of true. Right. The health commissioner. And a judge is like, no way, you are a definite risk. But mm-hmm. a year later, there's a new health commissioner, mm. and he says, okay, we're going to release you, but you have to promise that you'll never work in a kitchen again. Mm-hmm. And she says, of course, of course. <laughs> I promise. So she gets a job right out of the hospital as a laundress. Now, the problem is, you get paid really well as a cook. Yeah, better than laundress, at least, yeah. And if you're, and it's much less work, laundering is a really hard job. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I totally sympathize with her in that she'd had this job that paid really well. She'd never been sick. She doesn't understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. She kind of pissed off known, at everyone who kind of ruined the last few years of her life. And what the hell do they know? Yeah. Right. She kind of must have known something because she takes a pseudonym. Mm-hmm. Of Mary Brown and goes back to cooking. Uh, so this is 1910. 
By 1915, 25 more people are dead, or ill, I'm sorry, not dead. Hmm. 25 more people have become ill. There's another death. She had been working at a hospital, Sloan Hospital for Women, Hmm. and she's arrested and she goes along willingly. She's returned to North Brother Island. Yeah, at that point, it's been made clear to her. She proved it to herself, you know? Yeah. She goes back to isolation, goes back to the island. Eventually, she's allowed to work in a laboratory Mm. and kind of help with this research. Several, I did read about how journalists would go out and visit her. She kind of became this minor celebrity. (laughs) And But people were instructed before they went in, they're like, don't take as much as a glass of water from her. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, her life is kind of sad, though. She lives in isolation. Mm-hmm. Six years before she dies, she's paralyzed by a stroke mm-hmm. and dies of pneumonia in 1938. Mm-hmm. And with the autopsy, they're able to realize that the bacteria, the typhoid bacteria, was held in her gallbladder. Really? And they're saying the most, the best reason for why she was asymptomatic carrier mm-hmm. is that she was actually born with the infection and that her mother had typhoid fever during pregnancy which makes it a little sadder so it's not like she even had a mild case born with just... it. it's very sad but i mean it's true that in her life 51 cases uh. of typhoid fever were because of her yeah. and three deaths wow that's a sad story it is it's sad it's very sad. But, you know, during this time, the vac- there are lots of outbreaks in the city. Mm-hmm. It's pretty serious. Kind of everybody gets it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's really not just a relocated to the poor. And, it, you know, it kind of goes, it kind of is past Spanish influenza. So it's really the point where people are really talking about diseases, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what causes them. They really push people to wash your hands. Mm-hmm. You know, take control of this disease. The vaccines you can't just come sweep out it under the rug like they could with the yellow fever. Yeah, exactly. So you really over the course. I'm I'm guessing you guys have noticed over the course of these diseases, you really start to see a change in how people are treated and how diseases are made aware to the public. How the city responds. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which exactly. Is, which is good news. Definitely, definitely. Yes, and if you can, you can go online and see a picture of Typhoid Mary's house, which is really kind of adorable. It's 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 kind of cute. But that takes us to North Brother Island, which we will only briefly cover because we may at some point talk oh, more about it. Yes, but we we love North Brother Island. Honestly, I could mm. I could spend quite a bit of time on that. Okay, so North Brother Island is situated in the East River in the Hellgate, where the currents are quite strong and. Hard to maneuver in a canoe. I don't recommend it. Okay, I've never done it, but I don't recommend it. It's in between Bronx and Rikers Island. 13 acres large, which is not large for an island. And it's just southwest of Hunts Point in the Bronx. So in 1885, Riverside Hospital moved there from Blackwell Island. Of course, Blackwell Island is now Roosevelt Island. Uh, and yeah, this is the this is the smallpox hospital. It was ridiculously overcrowded. They built... Uh, bunch of buildings on North Brother Island. Well, eventually built many buildings there. And uh, that was to alleviate crowding. So islands are good for this. Honestly, this was this was a good idea to, to have people with infectious diseases. Patients can be isolated and treated. It's hard for the vectors to get across the water. Um, 
And in the time that it has served as a medical facility, North Brother Island treated patients with all of the following disorders, measles, typhus, of course, smallpox, of course, tuberculosis, leprosy, diphtheria, scarlet fever, polio, venereal disease, and in its last iteration, drug addiction. It was a, a rehab clinic. Not a good one, though. Yeah. I read a bit about the uh, drug rehabilitation. I'm not sure how much I agree. It was kind of, they'd lock you in a room mm-hmm. and just let you detox on yeah. your own. Like, yeah. you're addicted was- to heroin. Good luck for the next couple days. Mm-hmm. And then you'd have three months on the island. There was a public school there. This was for adolescents specifically, but it was yeah. not a a well-planned thing. And in all fairness, this is in the 50s. They don't know as much about it, but the, there is no excuse for rampant staff corruption. And they knew that this particular method was not effective because of ridiculously high patient recidivism. So you know, people, quote-unquote, got clean. And then when they did leave the island, they went right back to it. It was not well done. And even now, we really don't have a great way to treat addiction. We're still figuring that out. We're still figuring out what it is and what what that motive is and what the best treatment is. But back then, yeah, cold turkey from heroin? Good God. So it was not a good plan. But how did they know? It was it was like hospital and people quarantined and it was a it was not a good place to be in the early years. There weren't like phone lines to the rest of the city. People your family couldn't visit you because there were like two ferries, maybe. There was not really sufficient heat on the island, and if there were weather problems, then no the way, ferry yeah. traffic would be disrupted, and the ferries are how you got food on the island. So it wasn't a great so, plan shortages. from the start. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this is, and again, this is, you know, rich people didn't wind up here. This is where the poor people went, and poor people heard stories about this place and were scared to go here. Quite never wanted to quite understandably, and like we were saying before, this is how you wind up with sick people still in the population and still spreading their their diseases around. Yeah, because the hospitals, the the hospital, the charity hospitals, they could go to to get treated mm-hmm. were just so horrific. Mm-hmm. And I, I read one thing about how the most likely island, rather than Manhattan, that you go to after North Brother Island was Heart Island, which is a cemetery island essentially. Which is my second favorite island. Yeah, I do remember that was one of the things about North Brother Island is the morgue is right there by the dock, so you can get the bodies over to Hart Island, which is a big the potter's field. Yeah. Yeah, it's not good to be poor, either in ancient history or now. I'm just going to say that. As far as a North Brother Island today, it is a bird sanctuary. It was a bird sanctuary since the 80s. It is one of the largest nesting colonies of the black-crowned night heron, except, this is interesting, as of 2011, the species has abandoned the island for unknown reasons. Ooh, that means I can get out there finally. No, you can't. Because it is still a bird sanctuary. So it's interesting you bring that up because of all the websites that talk about North Brother Island. And if you are interested, I urge you to go find out more about it because it is really super cool. In particular, go to kingstonlounge.blogspot.com. The link is down there at the bottom. Uh, Amazing photographs. But every single article or blog posting or anything about this 
If you look in the comments, it is filled with people saying, how can I get there? Who wants to go there? I want to go there. How can you get there? I want to be an urban explorer. I want to get out there. Can I just take a canoe? How about a kayak? Is there a way? How do you go? People really, really want to go out there. So here is how you go out there. Ready? How you get out there is don't. North and South Brother Islands what? are patrolled by authorities from Rikers. And also, they are covered in poison ivy. So you really don't want to go out there. That being said, minutes before we started recording, I did find a website by the people behind Radiolab and NPR. I okay. saw that and too. They, Let's go. Maybe. <laughs> they talk about how to get onto North Brother <laughs> Island. And it sounds to me like it's not going to be possible. And it was probably possible for them because they're radio lab but because they're radio the first step is yeah contact parks department get permission from them second step as if that first step is just a thing you do i have a feeling it might be hard to get permission but regardless let's pretend mm -hmm. let's say you do get permission then you have to charter a boat and that's expensive so you need a lot of people with you and you also need to bring along a smaller boat because there is no dock on North Brother Island. You pretty much have to shipwreck yourself on the island, I think they said. So, it sounds like it's not impossible. Uh, another thing they said, it is still a bird sanctuary. Just because the black-crowned night heron decided it didn't like it out there anymore doesn't mean other birds aren't there. So, if, if, if everything comes together and you are able to go, you can only go September through March. You can only go in the winter and the fall. Which kind of seems like the exactly. worst month. So you're not going to bring a picnic. Regardless, it looks super cool. It looks like it would be a crazy fun adventure. A ridiculously dangerous crazy fun adventure. Because the stuff is falling apart. No, there is no, this isn't like them trying to uh, prop up the structure of, uh, of, of what is it called? The smallpox hospital of Renwick ruins where there, there's literally efforts to keep it up and not collapsing on people. This island is falling apart. It's a lot like World After People, you know, where they had the image of from Chernobyl. They actually filmed and a that, part of that here. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of then. So it's falling apart. It's dangerous. It's covered with poison <laughs> ivy. That said, it looks super cool. Uh, at the very least, I do recommend, strongly, strongly recommend, go see those photos at kingstonlounge.blogspot or just Google North Brother Island. It is so cool to see but yeah it's 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 just a bad spot it's in the middle of hellgate it does look cool i just recommend people look at the pictures well i'd like to thank our listeners for listening to this hour and a half long podcast <laughs> yes, it really been that we long definitely long got long. off the uh, contagion topic but i thought i hope you got your fill of uh, infectious diseases I, I think we managed to keep it with contagion and contagion-related New York City issues. I was happy there was one symptom that you missed on a disease that was um, black vomit, and I'm really happy you missed that one, and I just brought it up. Yeah, so. I was going to leave black vomit out of the show, but now that you've brought black it up, vomit. Kate, here it is. Here it is. Here it is. You guys can Google it. It's gross. Because you bleed into if your you don't stomach. Know about it's, it. Yeah, it's gross. and You bleed in your stomach, and then it comes and up black. Yeah. It's there we go. So now you know about Black Vomit. Well, tune in next week when we will be discussing... It's a secret, Bradley? and you'll find out then. 
just like every other week. Man, I don't even know what this is. But we hope you liked the (laughs) Contagion show, and we hope you come back and listen to the rest of them. Yeah, we'll see you next week. Talk to you next week. For more ABC Gotham, go to our website, abcgotham.podbean.com. Special thanks to Podcasting's Brock. The music for ABC Gotham is by Big Rude Jake. ABC Gotham is a K2 production, copyright 2012, all rights reserved. Me on this night of New York City.